We're just finishing up our series through the book of Job. If you wouldn't mind turning with me in your Bibles, it's so much easier to work through this if we're looking at it together. We're in chapter 42, literally the very last chapter of the book, and going to be working through just those verses uh, to conclude. But I wanted to just recap a couple details about our uh, series thus far. We've uh, had a lot happen in this story. If you remember the very early on, we had the encounter between Satan and God where Satan was requesting permission to test Job's faith. God grants him that permission and then all misery breaks loose. If you think about all that Job went through, the loss of his family, through the loss of his possessions, the loss of his stature, his, his health, every single piece of his life came into ruin. Really, definitely someone, if you're comparing situations with, it would be hard to say you've got it worse than Job. As he goes through all of that, after that, the, the dust settles just a little bit, he has friends that come alongside of him, three friends, if you remember, that came alongside and helped him try to make sense out of his situation, answering the question, why? Why is this happening? Why am I going through all this? Why would God do this to me? Wrestling through some of those difficult questions that I know all of us wrestle through in our trial. And I would suggest that his three friends came up with some knucklehead answers. Basically gave some, some bad advice, some really bad suggestions as to the reason why, and uh, were, were uh, kind of pushed off by Job. And then someone else, a bystander by the name of Elihu, stepped in and gives some actually some good advice. Starts pointing them back in the right direction, but just to make sure that everything was crystal clear, God, last week we talked about this, chooses in dramatic fashion to enter into the conversation to set all the records straight to make sure that it's crystal clear who's driving the ship and who is not. Clearly, Job was not. So we had that last week and we're really left with a chance to see how will Job respond to this blatant encounter with Almighty God. This blatant encounter with Almighty God. He's been through the the worst of it. And so we're going to look at that this morning. But first thing I wanted to point you to is at the very end of chapter 41 in your uh, your Bibles or your phones. That's going to throw us all off. The very last verse, verse 34, we get a little glimpse of what God is dealing with. This is God describing a Leviathan, which was some type of a sea creature, large sea creature that lived in that day and time. That clearly couldn't have been a dinosaur because Adrian doesn't believe in those. But, uh, but here it describes the Leviathan. It says, he sees everything that is high. He is king over all the, what's your Bible say? Sons of pride. Sons of pride. It didn't catch my attention last week, but I was, when I was kind of reflecting back this week on the previous couple of verses before we enter into chapter 42, that is really God's assessment of mankind. Really, his assessment of mankind is that we're literally sons of pride, something from generation to generation, something that's so inherent in us, it's so deep-rooted We often miss it, but if you think about it, that's what started sin to begin with. When Adam made the choice all the way back in the the garden, you remember this, what what Satan tempted with was you can be like God. 
will be like God. And man, both man and woman bit hook, line, and sinker. And because of that initial choice in pride to say, I'm going to go my own way, do my own thing, we've had generation after generation of those of us living in self-righteous pride. Well, Job wasn't. He wasn't exempt from that. He followed suit as well. And it didn't come out until the midst of his trials. How do you, do you remember how it came out in his trials? In his trials, he starts coming up with some crazy accusations about God being unfair, of defending him, Job defending himself and his own righteousness. All of a sudden, some of this deep-rooted pride came to the surface, and that was all well and good until God spoke. Until God spoke, until God entered into the situation, until he had this encounter with God where he's like, wait a second, I've got to choose how I'm going to respond to Almighty God. How am I going to respond to Almighty God? And really, as I was thinking about it, just as we're setting up the topic here this morning, I was like, really, that's what every single person on this planet is left with. How am I going to respond to Almighty God? God reveals himself in lots of different ways through creation. We saw that a ton mentioned in this book. It all, he also reveals himself through the testimony of his people, those of us that are following Christ and proclaim him to the world around us. He also reveals himself through his word, the study of this truth that people are drawn to. And everyone on this planet is pushed to come to some sort of a decision of what am I going to do with God? In my, in my pride, am I going to say, no, thank you, I don't want relationship? Or am I going to embrace what he's done for us through Jesus Christ to allow relationship? And it's really, if you think about it, it's God's kindness that he allows us to choose relationship. Nobody wants a relationship that's forced on them. My daughter Alexa's in fourth grade, and uh, I get these different class emails. If you're a parent of young children, maybe you get these as well with little overviews of what's what's happening in the classroom. Well, I get one last week for Alexa's class, and it was saying this week for the holiday coming up, which is Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day, every single student is supposed to bring a Valentine's card. Maybe if you're a parent, you maybe got something similar. But here's what they said. They said, make sure you bring enough for everybody in the class and leave the names blank so we can fill those in so nobody gets missed. So this, this email went out to like 60 different uh, email addresses, all kinds of parents receiving this. One of the dads replies to this email and says, but what about the kids we don't want to give Valentine's to? Isn't that, isn't that a fair question? What about the kids we don't like, basically, he's saying. And uh, it was so fantastic. If it was possible that there was silence in an email exchange, there was a long, awkward silence where nobody chose to enter in. Then finally, you guys will find this humorous, finally, a mother in complete panic enters into it and says, that was not my husband. His email is this. That email is this. That we don't know who that is. It's just some guy that had gotten this email and is jacking with everybody. Oh, it's fantastic. It was so perfect. And so, so this dad is just messing and causing complete havoc at Willow Elementary in the fourth grade class. 
Because why? Nobody wants relationship that's imposed on them. That's called assault. You see, like relationship that's imposed on you, you don't, you don't want to be pushed back against that. But instead, God says, you know what? I'm going to give you little glimpses of who I am. I'm going to pursue you. It even says in Scripture, His kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. I'm going to, make, I'm going to take you through some storms that maybe through that you'll call out to me. All of this brings us to the big ultimate decision of how will I respond to God's love and grace. We're going to see in the text here this morning, Job's response. Let me pray as we dive into this awesome text. God, thank you for this chance to be together and dig into your word and just looking forward to what you might teach us this morning, that this wouldn't just be a a lesson that adds to our knowledge of Job, that there might be some transferable principles here that we take and apply to our own lives, God. Otherwise, What's the point of gathering? I pray that you'd speak to us directly, that you'd shape us, that you'd sharpen us through the study of your word. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you wouldn't mind turning, I already said that, but looking at verse four, or chapter 42, verse 1, we're going to start by seeing Job's humble response to his encounter with God. It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He repeats what God had said. He says, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He says, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Again, repeating God's words. His response, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Pretty powerful response to this encounter with God. Let's break it down a little bit first. Finally, Job recognizing his smallness in comparison to God's greatness. And you see in very right out of the gates, he submits to God's absolute sovereignty. He says, I know that you can do all things. In other words, you can do whatever you please. This sounds a little bit different from his tone a little bit earlier in the book where he's questioning everything that God does. Now he's like, I submit, you you know what you're doing. You can do whatever you want without constraint. Verse 3, he quotes God, God, the question God had asked, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Do you remember him asking that of Job? Then he gives his response. He says, I've uttered what I did not understand. Basically admitting that he had spoken in his ignorance. Before he was all busy busy with self-justification and accusations against God, finally he's able to say those three most difficult words, I was wrong. Those are hard words. In fact, say it to the person next to you just to see how it comes off of our tongue. Some... Some of you are like, man, even having trouble uh, saying those even in the moment, I'm noticing that, especially with couples in the room. I was wrong. Those three wonderful but difficult words to come off of our tongue, and here Job finally says it. I was wrong. We have a a life group that meets, uh, my wife and I are in, and 
one of the ladies in it, her name is Bonnie Shoden, and we actually were, were meeting, and uh, our life group was in the well, which is this room right over here by the, the kitchen, and it has this fireplace that when we did our building project, we went in, and out of our building project, probably if I were to assess it, that stupid fireplace was the biggest fail. Like, I have had so much trouble getting that thing to work. It works sometimes, doesn't work other times. I've watched videos on it. I've watched, I, I've searched on the internet. I've, I've gotten counsel. I even had the builder come back out and try to explain how this stupid thing works and cannot figure it out. It's just temperamental. Sometimes it does. So it's, it's got an attitude about it, too. Because sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And, and it's, it's crazy. Bonnie, the other night, we're in our group. She's like, oh, all you need to do is switch on this little switch right here. I'm like, Bonnie, you have no idea what you're talking about. I've spent so many hours trying to work on this thing, so much time. I've even said, Jeremy, didn't I send you home with a video to watch to help me figure it out? Like, the, like all of these things, trying to solve this thing. I, she's like, look, right here, bing, turns this on, bing. It lights right up. I'm like... <laughs> That's, uh, at first, I'm, like, I'm not buying it. I'm like, that was a fluke. That was a fluke. It just worked once. She's like, look, I can do it again. Bing, right on. I'm like, you're kidding me. And here were the words that came out of your pastor's mouth. I'm sorry, I was wrong. I was wrong. You see, I would suggest that so often we hold on in our pride and not willing to admit I have no idea what I'm talking about. And finally, God hears that from good old Job. He goes on in verse 4, he quotes God again, then responds, I had heard of you, but now my eyes see you. I had heard of you, but now my eyes see you. See, things change when you move from like an intellectual knowledge of God. Like, yeah, I've heard of him. I know information about him. I can tell you some stories about him. But it changes everything when you know him personally. And those of us in this room that do, that have had encounters with God, that interact with him, that have had a voice so loud, it's, it's breathtaking of conviction or of, of, of prompting. You're just like, you know what? It's, it's different when I know him, when I'm walking with him. Here he has seen him face to face and it changes everything. And probably one of the biggest things that changes is when we're revealed to his majesty and our greatness it's like a mirror to our smallness. It's like a mirror to our smallness and our imperfections. And when we're exposed to his glory and his perfection, we saw it in Isaiah the prophet when he encountered God. He says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we truly, I'd suggest we don't really even fully know ourselves until we encounter Almighty God. We don't even know ourselves. You see, when Job encountered Almighty God, look at, look at his response. He says, Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. When we're exposed to his glory and his majesty, all of a sudden our weaknesses, our shortcomings come into full view. And we, when we respond in humility, God's like, oh, finally, I have something I can work with. Finally, something I can, I can do here. We're, we're told in James 4, 6 that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
When we humbly admit, I was wrong, I don't know. God, I'm clinging to you. I'm trusting in you for the answers. I don't have it all figured out, but I do know you are good and your track record is flawless. Flawless. That's how Job chose to respond. See, in the text, some different responses is his, his buddies have the opportunity to respond. Remember I said everybody has a, a choice and a crossroads in their life. They have to respond what to do with an encounter with God. Verse 7, look at his, his friends. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Remember his humble response. Now therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. A lot going on there. The first observation is what is maybe confusing for some when it says when the lord says my anger burns against you we typically associate anger as something that's a a, a negative something that we're to avoid but i would suggest in scripture anger is isn't necessarily condemned we're told not to sin in our anger in fact anger you guys, listen to me closely here. Don't, don't think this is giving you affer- like uh, excuses to just be some anger monger. But, uh, but anger, when it's righteous anger, can be a wonderful motivator. Like sometimes I wish that, that Christians would get more angry and more fired up for the right things. I remember having lunch some years back with my friend Guido, and he started this, this ministry called I Empathize. It was to help kind of address some of the tra- child trafficking that happens in our, in our country. Kids are being sold. Like really? There, there's things like that should, that should make us angry. It should make us angry. It moved him to action to actually do something about it and starting an ex- a, a ministry that saved many kids' lives coming out of it. You think about this. Anger isn't the problem. It's not sinning in our anger. And here he's fired up. What does it say that he's fired up about? Was he, what was he ticked off about? He said, you have not spoken of me what is right. You have not spoken, referring to his three buddies. Remember, we talked about them a couple weeks ago. They had come to some conclusions about what God was doing and what his, his motivations were that were completely off base, that were completely off track. And, and he's saying, hey, I don't like when people come with ideas about what I might be doing and present them as fact. That's, that, that God takes that really seriously. God, so, so for us to receive that personally and not think that we have to speak on behalf of God as people go through their trials and circumstances. I think we're too quickly saying, I think God's trying to teach you this. I think he's doing this. How, how about this? How about if we stick with what we don't with, with what we do know, which is very little, and, and leave the parts that we don't know up to God. Let, 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 allow them to be an exercise of trust and shut up a little bit. 
Say, I don't know what God's doing, but I know this about his character. I know I've seen this in, in, in my life. What if we changed our counsel? And th- this parallels, because remember, we're trying to apply this ourselves. This also parallels to how we interact with those around us. Not coming too quickly to assumptions about other people's motivations. How often do we say, I know exactly why she did that because she's evil. Like we like, I, I know exactly why he did that. I, I, I know this is like, we, we see all, all of this even banter on Facebook, all of these things that we assume that we know something that we just don't know. There's such freedom in letting people go and saying, I don't know what's motivating them. I don't know what's driving them. I have no idea. It, 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 you, there's, there's a degree of bliss in releasing people from our judgments. That what a gift that is. It fires up God when we come up, up, up with false conclusions about him. It fires him up when we come up with false conclusions about his children. A reminder for us in the text. But I, what I love is that even in his anger... Even in his anger, because sometimes when we get angry, we, we move to something drastic. He doesn't just smush these three guys, right? He doesn't smush these three guys. Like, likely, if I had that hat, that might have happened. But instead, God offers the way back. And this is probably the most clear picture of the gospel in this story. What does he say? You need to go make sacrifices for your sins. There needs to be a sacrifice. There needs to be a payment to pay so that I don't deal with you according to your folly. There needs to be a sacrifice. Something because we have a God that's loving, but we also have a God that's just. We love to focus on the loving part. That's the fun part. But the just part demands that something that there is a sacrifice for sin all the way back then still pointing to our need desperate need for a savior do you think his the the buddies after hearing from him how do you think they responded well you see it there in the text they got right on it i'm sure i'm guessing they weren't going to bed that night and kind of hoping that god's anger is going to pass they're like when you know almighty god is angry with you do you think you should take that seriously do you think that should be a big deal well, again, gospel message, right? Gospel message. When, God, when there's enmity between you and God, you should probably get that taken care of. With these guys, they got it taken care of, I'm guessing, pretty promptly. And the fascinating part of this little section, it got, I feel like God gave it to me. I hadn't seen it before. Look at how he pulls Job into it. He says, listen, I'm not going to accept their sacrifice unless Job prays for them. Whoo, wait a second. Can you imagine that crossroads for Job? Job's thinking to himself, either I pray for them or they get what they deserve. Either I pray for them or they're, they're, they're dealt according to their folly. I imagine it had to be a little bit of wrestling match in Job's mind. You're like, these three knuckleheads have been making accusations about me for the, for the last 12, 20 chapters. Like, like uh, 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 and then he chooses wisely, chooses to forgive. I'm sure hard to pray for them, hard to pray for your enemies. Guys that had closest friends that had to, in all rights uh, betrayed him behind the scenes, chooses to, 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 to forgive them and pray for them. And I find it interesting 
that after that, in verse 10, it says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Almost like that was the very last lesson to be learned. We can't just bask in God's grace and not plan to extend it to others. So many of us come on a Sunday morning, I shouldn't say so many, I don't know what you do. Um, Possibly some of us come on a Sunday morning and sing of God's grace and his mercy. And man, thank you God for your forgiveness. They leave on the afternoon, they're like, oh, but I can't stand her. I can't believe she ever did that. I can't believe he would say that. And we, we embrace grace, but we don't extend grace. You see, this, this is exactly what Job was, the, the graduate level test. To know that he had arrived was when he was able to extend it himself. Where are we at on that? Who have we given ourselves permission to still be angry towards? That we haven't released? Who we still hold on to things? After he does choose to release them and pray for them, God restores the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job, continuing in verse 10, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Not a bad setup. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread and with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him, and each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemimah, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapuk, Maybe I'm saying that right. And in all the land, there were, were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. Pretty powerful ending to our story. If you think about it for a moment, though. God could have walked away with lessons learned by one and all, right? Could have stepped away and been like, I made my point. Everybody got the big idea, the I, 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 uh, exclamation mark on me. But instead, he goes the extra mile to restore his children. I think this is a, a beautiful reminder for those of us that question the goodness of God. You're just like, you know what? God sees the trial you're in sees your suffering. He, he knows what you're going through. He's, he, wants to, he wants to care for you. He's not going to abandon you. The end of the story hasn't come yet. Now granted, some of us don't see this kind of a happy fairy tale ending at the end of our story, but ultimately, big picture wise, on the other side of this, our eternity, if you think about it, we've mentioned this before in church, this is the very worst it's ever going to get for you. This is the very worst if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It only gets better. And it gets really good based on what I've read in Scripture. Here he goes the extra mile. Look at first we already saw that he restored his relationship with his friends. Obviously his friends got to be pretty grateful. He he held the key to access with God again and he, he turned the key for him. Then we see, which is funny to me, his brothers and sisters 
come out of the woodwork. Now, now I, maybe I'm reading too much in this, but I'm like, where were they at during all of the, like the thick of the trials? It was kind of like me growing up with my sisters in trouble. I'm staying in the room. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm out of there. And, uh, and, and here he chooses, they choose to finally come and be a support and a comfort. And what I love about this, what I love about that, is that God chooses to use us as brothers and sisters to be part of people's restoration story. He uses individuals just like you and me. You can, you can be that person that hands the, 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 it says a little bit of money, a coin, whatever, a ring, the, the things that are needed to help somebody get back on their feet. One of the ministries that I really love in our church, you might have noticed it if you've been here for a while, is the first Sunday of the month we have uh, a benevolent offering, or a deacon's fund is what we call it, where people give towards this fund and then we're able to take those resources and bless just different people in the community. And they probably even some folks in this room that have been blessed by that fund over the years. This, uh, just watching that, though, you guys don't get to see all the behind-the-scenes stories, and that's one of my favorite things is to see different ways that get, people are, are blessed. This, this last week, I'll share just one with you. There's a, a lady that comes to our church. She's an elderly lady. Her name's Norma. And she spends kind of half her, her time here and then uh, with her kids and grandkids and half of her, her time in Omaha. Well, I caught wind that she was just going through some real financial hardships and couldn't pay for a muffler and some different whatever. And, uh, and so we surprised her. You guys surprised her by sending her a check in, in the mail to kind of cover all these different expenses and then probably a, a little bit more. I'll tell you what. She's, I think I've had like six thank you cards since then from this, this elderly woman. Like uh, she's, uh, she refers to me as her son. I'm like, I didn't do it. It's, it's, the, it's this church. It's this body. Because why? Because God uses individuals to restore people that are going through miserable times. To restore people. And I would love for us to be that church, to be people that aren't just like, hey, wish you the best, pat on the back, but literally tangible ways to meet needs around us. He goes on to double his possessions, his, his health is, is brought back. It says that he lives a really long life. Uh, it's, it's interesting, though, that when it says that it, he doubled everything, that he only got seven more kids. I'm like, he started with seven. That's not double, according to my math. Anybody else? Seven uh, compared to seven is equal, not double. But if you think about it in God's eternal view, that is double. Because he had seven, he still has those seven. They're just, they just started the eternity track a little bit earlier than the other. Then he added seven more. It's a beautiful thing. And I love it that he has set three daughters and four sons, and notice that it, that it uh, did I get that right? Seven sons, three daughters, and I notice that, guess who gets all the attention? The daughters. You ladies in here got to love this out of an Old Testament book that like everybody says, oh, God's all about the guys, and you're like, no, actually, he makes a pretty big deal about these ladies, and what's fascinating, one, he talks about their beauty, but he also talks about Job including them. Do you guys catch this in the, in the text? Including them in the inheritance. In that day and age, that was unheard of. Only the guys benefited from an inheritance. Nope, not here. And I wonder why God chose to include that in the text. I don't know. We can, we can maybe uh, interpret by voting, but I would suggest maybe, maybe Job was a little different person on the other side of his suffering. What do you think? 
those of us that have been on the other side of suffering? Do you think maybe you come out maybe refined, a little bit more like gold, maybe a, a little bit more of a, a sensitivity, a little bit more generous, a little more grateful, a little less judgmental, a little less suspect of God, a little bit more in tune with the needs of those of us around, those around us that are suffering? Man, I'll tell you what, I lean towards that interpretation of it. He also mentions these three girls' names. I thought that was interesting. But if you look at the meaning of them, because you know in the Old Testament, names were a big deal. Anybody know that? A couple of the, the names, uh, Jemima, and I'm sure I'm butchering how to say them, uh, means days upon days. Days upon days. Obviously, a man that was grateful for what God has given him days upon days, extended his life. I don't know if it's saying that he lived to 140 or he added 140 to what he already had. Either way, this, this guy lived a long time. Kezia, the second name, was uh, named after a plant. I don't know exactly where to go with this. Plant from which cinnamon is derived. I don't know if that's based on a new appreciation for all of God's blessings? I'm not sure exactly, but, but pretty cool, named after cinnamon. The third one, this one is a, a legit stretch, uh, Karen Hapuk. It was a subs- based off of a substance used for darkening eyes with makeup. Huh, interesting. I have no idea why, but maybe he has a new appreciation for skincare after all <laughs> he's been through. We, we, don't, we don't know for sure, we don't know for sure, but we do know is we see some elaborate displays of God's love for Job on the other side of this trial. Some elaborate displays of God's love for Job on, this other, on the other side of this, of this trial. God cares for his kids. God cares for his kids. We don't always have the answer why. We have to cling and trust to him that he knows what he's doing. And keep on, it's, it's our, our trials aren't the opportunity to shake our fist and be like, how could you do that? Say, all right, God, I, I, don't, I can't make sense out of it, but I'm trusting you. He never once give, gave Job the reason, the why. He never once did that. Instead, he called him to encounter him and trust him. Love the story of the famous evangelist George Mueller, if you guys have heard of him. As a wife of 39 years after she died of rheumatic fever, the Lord gave him just enough strength to speak at her funeral. These were his words. He says, I miss her in numberless ways and shall miss her yet more and more. But as a child of God and as a servant of the Lord Jesus, I bow. I am satisfied with the will of my heavenly Father. I see by perfect submission to his holy will to glorify him. I kiss continually the hand that has afflicted me. That's a beautiful picture. Beautiful picture of regardless of what happens. And isn't that really what our trials do? Test the genuineness of our faith. Will we keep kissing the hand of our God? How will we respond? What will my response be? To our trial. Last thing, and we'll end with this, is you got to think when you're talking about responses, the bigger picture response for each one of us, 
We've all been exposed to this same God that Job's been exposed to, even through this story. We've all heard of his gospel, if you've listened to me talk this evening. Since then, a lot more has been revealed than Job had at that point in in history. Since then, Jesus came down. You guys know the story. Jesus came down, God in the flesh, came, lived the perfect life as a perfect example for us, died on a cruel Roman cross at the hands of his creation, literally while he's putting air in their lungs, while they they nailed him to a cross, he took it willingly, absorbed our sin on the cross, after three days rose again, having victory over death, And giving us an irresistible offer. And here's the offer that he gives us. Give up. Give up. Give up my efforts at trying to please him. Give up my efforts at perfection. Give up my efforts at at finding things that are going to satisfy in this world of Walmart products. Give up all of that and say, "I, I, I surrender just like Job did. I give up. I I didn't know. I I thought I could do this on my own. I thought I could achieve this. You see, the hope for every one of us is that offer is constantly on the table. And I feel like I couldn't move past this story without extending that to this room right now. We started this last year kind of a, a newer tradition in our church when people have a chance to respond to the gospel after they've heard of Jesus' love, what he's done for them on the cross. Their response, just a practical way, is to stand up and say, I'm in. Some churches, they bow their head and lift their hands. I'm saying, no, 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 no. Let, let's, let's boldly proclaim that. Kind of like the, the, it's hard to say, I, I'm sorry that, that we, we discovered that or I was wrong earlier. But, but this is the same idea. It's so hard, but oh, the freedom on the other end of that decision. To fully embrace Jesus' work on the cross. I can't do it. I can't fix it. I submit. I accept that free gift. We're going to give a couple moments of just quiet here. And if you're, if you're already, if that's a decision you've already made, man, you can take some time just talking to God and saying, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. But if it's not, this is a tangible way right now for you to respond to that offer. The offer is this. Jesus died for your sins as a substitute for your sins and then gives you the option to say, yes, I'll take it, or no, I'm going to pass as a, as a, as a son of, of disobedience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resist that. My hope is this morning that you'll respond if you haven't. So let's maybe bow our heads for a moment if you give give some time to reflect on that. If you've never made that decision, right now I'm providing the space of quiet for you to make that choice. And here's the tangible thing, to stand up, if you've never done that in your life, to stand up in these moments and just say those two words, I'm in. I'm in representing the fact that I I accept what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. I'll be quiet for a moment and give you a chance to respond in that practical way.
For some in this room, your heart might be racing right now. You know that it's a decision that you've never made. You don't know exactly why you won't do it. Here's the moment to say, I'm in. Steve, are you in? Anybody else going to stand up in boldness and just say, you know what, I'm in. I accept what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. God, I thank you so much that this offer is constantly on the table. Pray for any person in this room that you're pursuing, that you're chasing, that you're trying to woo with your love. Pray that they wouldn't resist that. That even if they didn't choose to stand up today, that they wouldn't allow this, the sun to set on this day that you're working them so dramatically. They choose to get with somebody to, to, to make that choice, to pronounce their commitment to you. God, we thank you for your grace. I thank you so much for even just this picture of your grace displayed through Job. Even in the middle of his trial, God, you show up, you provide it, you care for him. God, I pray for each one of us that this going into this week ahead, we'd make choices on a consistent basis to surrender, not as a one-time event, but on an on a ongoing daily basis, surrendering to your love, surrendering to your will in our lives, God. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Oh, praise God. It feels so good when you finally surrender, when you finally submit. I love that picture in that, that song of, of finally love wins. Love wins when we submit. I loved hearing just testimony from my, my wife had passed on that even in the first uh, service, three kids had given their life to Christ. We got these kids getting baptized here. We got Steve making a decision there. I love what God's doing in our midst. Praise God for that. Have a wonderful week. Next week, we dive into a new series in the book of Ephesians. God bless you.